0: you have all these people drive into the Pasadena animal shelter to show compassion and love for a specific type of animal while the animals that are receiving that compassion and love are eating animals that had suffered in a CAFO or in a factory farm. Um, and when these people buy these animals and they leave and they go buy dog food, that dog food is filled with the parts of other animals. And to me, that whole system confuses me, right? So what they're supporting when they're buying that is a system of pain and suffering, and they would never inflict that pain and suffering onto the pet that they just bought. Do you you know know what I mean? So it baffles awareness it it baffles me and dan i sent you something today can you look on your phone really quick dan and tell me what the primary ingredients are that can you read that little paragraph so the listeners can know what's in commercial dog food so now this is this is a push to say okay well maybe we need to go plant-based because the commercial dog food that you're feeding your animal because you love your animal and you're compassionate about your animal and you would never want anything to happen to your animal. They're eating something that is just riddled with suffering. So do you have that, Dan? All right, I'm going to read it because I have it right here. Please do. The primary ingredients in pet food are byproducts of meat, poultry, and seafood, feed grains, and soybean meal. Among the animals used in rendering are livestock, horses, and house pets, which have been put to sleep. The National Animal Control Association estimates that each year, about 5 million pets were shipped to rendering plants and recycled into pet food.
1: Oh, I say it, I say it again, you've been had! You've been took! You've been hoodwinked! Bamboozled! Let astray, Run on muck! This is what he does! You've been had, and what makes matters worse? is you're allowing it. A lifetime of nutritional deception has forced us into the fight for our lives. We are the plant-based riot. We are here to tear down that curtain of secrecy created by our very own American food industry. A plant-based diet and a disease-free life are not out of reach. Make
0: the choice.
2: The way you feed your dog is very plastic i mean it's it has changed so much over the years and it ha- and it has been really what whatever the human was about right. do you think you the know? animal
1: is actually evolving from over the over this time period from when this absolutely, absolutely. wow yeah. that's
2: crazy and you know like you could argue that some dogs that are closer to wolf and have maintained more of their wild instincts would be more dependent on meat whereas the vast majority of domesticated dogs are pretty far removed from the wolf. And they're, they're in a sense, not that different from humans. You know,
0: and what you were saying, I think animals or pets as a utility is gone. I don't think that we use them too many. I mean, they are accessories to our life now, you know, and exactly. And with that, with that role comes like this whole multi-billion-dollar market yeah, of dog exactly. food, right? Big industry. So, like utility animals, like guard dogs and um, hunting dogs, seeing eye dogs. I, well, I mean, here in California, everybody has a seeing eye dog, right? You <laughs> need a prescription. <laughs> for you it. go into the mall, and everybody's oh. got their like dog in their purse. You know, especially here in Arcadia. Yeah. You Been on the plains lately, man? I, 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 it's shocking. It's I, I don't understand the need to bring your animal to the mall. Right, but that goes to show you, like how f- how far removed these animals are from what they once were. So, yes, um, absolutely. I, I think this episode is going to be incredibly sensitive. Uh, I think if we thought the vaccination episode was sensitive, this one's even going to be more so because wow. all the reading that I've been doing, uh, people are losing their minds. Really? This. Yes. Like so, the pro meat dog owners are just slandering the vegan dog owners and then the vegan dog owners are slandering the pro meat dog owners and to be honest they both make really good points like they they really do so this is this is going to be a a tough issue to tackle i know a
2: guy i know a guy who raises wolf dogs like pure wolf dogs Mm -hmm. that are like 98 to 99 percent wolf right and he, he'll he be the first person to tell you that all dogs need an all-meat diet, right? Like, let let the wolf, the the guy who owns wolves tell you how to feed your dogs. Wow. But, um, you know, he, he would say things like to me that, you know, if you feed your dog a plant-based diet, they're going to have more diarrhea, they're going to have bowel issues because they won't be able to assimilate that food. And... This is a person who's not separating wolf from the domestic dog, you know. So, of course, if you have a a pure wolf dog, which is quite a challenge in and of itself, you don't have to be specially trained to be able to to handle a wolf, you know. Right. It's not domesticated. Captivity. It's not domesticated. They actually do need a a meat diet, right? And and so. To make generalizations about domestic dogs and lump them all in with a wolf dog is... It's not scientific. It, it shows a lack of understanding um, about the history of dogs. And if you look on, like, social media, there's a huge following of people who worship this wolf dog idea, and they're trying to get a wolf dog. They're trying to to be involved with this idea of, like, In a sense, it's like the paleo movement is mirroring the wolf dog movement. So, like, people want a dog that matches their own paleolithic, you know, uh, aspirations of becoming some kind of wild, strong human that, you know, is going to opt out of the industrial food system, which is weird. So,
0: (laughs) as part of the domestication process we're pushing our dietary agendas onto the animals yeah and it may go against what their physiology is designed for absolutely
1: so uh obviously for those of you following along at home you can probably already guess that we're uh talking about the domesticated plant-powered pets episode here and um after a little bit of digging with uh dr Brian Blackburn and Moringa Mike, uh, and some heavy petting. We came up uh, for air with some evidence. I wish I wanted to hear a lot of this, you guys. I thought this was just like a weird off the wall thing, but apparently there's some there's some passionate uh, responses and and huge amount of research and and a little bit a little bit of battles on both sides. Yeah. It sounds like uh, we wanted to thank Whisper Farms. And the the new Whisper Farms delivery van—if you guys see that rolling down the the old two ten on the way to the Atwater Village Farmers Market—give <laughs> him a little woo woo. <laughs> um, Moringa Mike—he um, uh, is is providing greens and fruits and vegetables at the Atwater Village Farmers Market. Come check him out. I know we didn't talk about this normally we do before the show starts—a little bit of banter or whatever. But um, any, what's going on? We're kind of in the middle of the season. The watercress is starting to flower. Have you changed your beds? Or you? What, what's what's starting now? What's new? I knew I do uh, want to interject our new NFT system, new Nutri- uh, film technique. Yes, we that was inherited by our our friend Mr. Eric. Uh, we got that up and running. We have some lettuce, and, and I'll be. Everybody's coming up. Everybody's almost two and a half, three inches tall. So something's working there. But what's going on over at the farm, Mike?
2: I'm uh, I'm transitioning into baby greens, so uh, no more. Well, the watercress is done for me. Dan's still rocking it. It's working, it's still working. It's still working. <laughs> so I'm I'm going into baby greens, so baby kale, toscano kale, baby rainbow chard, also mm. what I like to call summer spinach. Summer spinach. Mm. How's that and, sound, Brad? Uh,
0: sounds delish.
2: Yeah, and baby gourmet lettuce. So they're all like you know, in heavy rotations by the time we get hot. Um and we'll be cutting it um every every week on a four week cycle so it's fast it's it's you know it's, it's only getting to be about three to four inches tall
1: well if you want fresh baby greens come check them out at the Edward village farmers market whisper farms guys we are the plant-based riot a weekly commutable length evidence-based call to action conversation about living a healthy and disease-free life follow us on instagram at plant-based riot visit the fantastic uh plant-based riot facebook page and like and uh subscribe to the plant-based riot youtube channel it's we're we're hitting it on all fronts gentlemen here it's gonna be great times Uh, i'm dan three-year vegan uh plant-powered kiddos and um going along with the flow plant-powered wife and occasionally we all have dinner together
2: it's a good time that's where i'm at i'm mike wood the plant hustler Um, I'm, i'm at the farmer's market a veggie vendor and uh i'm doing my best to throw greens on my family (laughs) <laughs> you know, George Bush, he said, we've got to put food on your family, but throwing greens on them. So. Throwback. Uh, <laughs> Brian, I'm a metabolic
0: scientist, uh, father of three plant-powered little kids, uh, married to a wonderful woman that supports all of my silly endeavors. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I've been, uh, I need i need one today. I've been kaling them with kindness for about 25 years now, so... Do you like that one? That
2: shirt that was off the that, top that of the sh- dome. I, was, I yeah. was wondering where that was going to go. Okay, yeah, that's going to be
1: another shirt at the farmer's
2: market yeah. someday. It's going to happen. them with kindness. That's cool. I actually, I like that. I've been that. getting romantic with romaine lately, though. You know, <coughs> like when you harvest. Wow. Yeah. So you've wow. been doing the heavy petting with the romaine. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You know, when you harvest lettuce, you gotta be you got to be gentle yet firm. That's all I've been <sighs> We've say. heard this from you before.
1: <laughs> this is a thing, right? Gentle but firm.
0: His guard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wish you guys could be here for that.
0: His gardening techniques are kind of giving us a little glimpse into his bedroom techniques. (laughs) Amen. Yes. Well, I'm
1: glad it's happening. So that's for sure, (laughs) guys. uh, How about this? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start unleashing the bucket of pet plant powered pets. It's a lot of puns today. Unleashing it's it's too many. How about that? I like it. I can't think too many. I'm on it. Um, uh, Mike, you're always the good uh, history. Guy, I still I still have the the line in my mind, in my head about the uh, co- from conquistadors to uh, composting that history bit um, refresh me t- get me up to speed I, I had I had a pet we had a, oh my family had pets growing up it ends up after a couple of weeks my parents are the ones walking the dog and the kids didn't want to do anything dogs all over the house and c- kind of halfway trained kind of not trained it was just a debacle wreck at my house and um, needless to say currently uh, full disclosure with my current um lifestyle and family mode we don't have any dogs though um or cats or pets though my children want some but i'm just like i'm just i've been burnt out so that's where i'm at but sure. can you give me a little bit of um history as to like domesticated animals because we're really talking about domesticated yeah. animals and, and that arc but like how did animals become domesticated and how did that, how did that really
2: become man's best friend being the dog Right, so you can imagine the classic story of uh, you know Paleolithic humans uh, cooking meat, um, and then wolves um, being attracted to the smell, um, you know, uh, encircling a human camp, and the wolves who were a little bit less aggressive uh, would come close enough to humans, and and so uh, dogs have been a natural um, part of human groups um they work they work with humans they help they help us they they provide us with companionship um but you know uh dogs have changed just like we have changed um as society has become agricultural dogs have become um uh, more domesticated so a wolf is not a dog um, and a dog is not a wolf so the way the way dogs have changed over time has been basically uh, mirroring the changes that humans have undergone. So if you imagine um, going from hunter-gatherer to a farmer, you're growing a lot of grains, legumes, and cereal grains, um, not doing a whole lot of hunting anymore. Mainly if you have like pests trying to eat your crops, that would be kind of the limit to what kind of meats you would be pursuing. But, um, the dog, you know, would be kind of your helper and the dog would be eating mainly what you were eating. If you were a farmer uh, about 10,000 years ago, you know, so that would be, that could be, um, corn and soybeans. That could be, um, that could be wheat. That could be bread. You know, that could be, almost anything you can imagine
1: and they're still throwing them like bones leftovers from if they did a hunt or something like this right like
2: sure so like if as you can imagine a farmer isn't doing a whole lot of hunting but there there could be the occasional meat here and there and the dog would be given the bone you know like the leftovers from the human uh kitchen right so uh for the most part, you're, you're seeing um, dogs that are starting to adapt to the human diet. Um, so being able to assimilate more starchy type vegetables. Um, and so with that, the dogs have changed. Um, a dog is, a f- is very different now from what a wolf is.
1: So you're talking like that window of time you're talking in the past four or five hundred years or, or even more recent?
0: I think it goes back like 30
2: I'd say 30,000 years? Well, I mean, Dogs like, have been if kinda... you're talking about agriculture, that's roughly 10,000 years ago. Okay. Um, but I would say our, you know, hunter gathering would be beyond that. Um, oh, okay. So, to me, the the idea of a dog living in captivity with humans is just, uh, has gradually led to less consumption of meat, mainly because um, if you're sedentary in that, a farmer isn't moving from place to place like a hunter would. They're staying put. They're growing crops. They're, uh, so their 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 diet isn't quite as diverse as it used to be. Um, so a dog living with a human that's sedentary, not moving around, um, they're going to have a much more limited diet. That and so that dog is going to have to eat whatever it can get. You know, and in many cases, that's going to be kind of like garbage you Ro- know, like rodent
1: kind of stuff too or just or you're talking just scraps. i'd say like
2: scraps from from whatever people were eating Got it. you know and table scraps yeah yeah so and like a farmer especially a farmer that was living before the agro like the industrial revolution before industrialized ag um a farmer isn't going to be eating a lot of meat it's difficult to get um even if you're talking about raising cows and goats and chickens, like uh, a farmer that's having to grow all of those crops just to feed those animals is going to grow very few of them because he's mainly concerned with feeding himself or herself and and uh, the family, right? So if you have extra corn and beans, for example, you could feed that to an like a domesticated animal, like a chicken or a pig or sure. a goat. Or a dog. You know, so it's very costly to have meat, um, especially if you're going to feed it to a dog.
1: Right, for yourself, let alone your best right. friend.
2: So, you know, like, if if you look at bears, even, uh, in Japan, um, people have tried to domesticate bears, and with very little success. Um, but um, you can have, you, there, are, there are accounts of um, bears being raised in captivity, being fed a completely vegetarian diet uh, and being able to gain thousands of pounds.
1: They're omnivores, right? I think they are. yeah. Yeah.
2: And, uh, and in some cases, um, well, it's considered almost suicide to raise a bear in captivity beyond one year of age, because as soon as it gets large, it can easily, you know, smash through its, its, uh, containment and, you know, and kill the farmer who's trying to raise it. But, um, Bears are not that dissimilar to dogs um they they can eat a vegetarian diet and gain weight. If you look at the history of domestication of many animals, it has been relatively based on can this animal subsist on garbage? you know because it's a lot of work to feed an animal you if you like for example, if you try to raise a lion in captivity um people have tried that. Uh, like prior to industrial ag, that's difficult to do. You know, you have to grow crops, grains, and and beans. Feed that to say a chicken, then feed the chicken to the lion. For what? Like, what's the point? Are you trying to eat the lion for meat? Because if you are, that's kind of that's kind of dumb to think that you would re- do, go through this entire process just to get meat for a lion. So obviously, the development of zoos and you know, entertainment. Around wild animals is, is where that ended up going so how do we get from
1: the from the animal from the dog, for instance, in this uh, experiment, from the dog running around uh, behind the campfire ten thousand years ago to the dog on the plane like and how are those palates different or are they different, and then um, what kind of food were they eating then, which you kind of described, and, and What are what are these? What are the the evolution of the pet? What are they
0: eating now?
2: You're you're a product of your environment.
0: Yeah, the uh, the evolution of the pet is the de evolution of the wild animal. So if you look at like how these companion animals were designed, right? Mother nature designed them, uh, and they were equipped with like very uh, special tools, right? So they could, you know capture animals apprehend animals they could masticate the animals digestion and absorption of of animal tissue they, they were designed for that not plants um so they probably have like a, a very short intestinal tract they do you know they had a, wait which
1: one the uh, the wild animal
0: the wild animal okay yeah. you know they had a very keen sense of smell to help them hunt their neuromuscular and muscular muscular skeletal system was designed for sprinting and speed and you know pouncing on unsuspecting prey um you know their their teeth were designed for cutting and slicing um they had very different digestive enzymes back really? then than they do now yes. so and then through that process of the de, you know, the de-evolution of the wild animal and the evolution of the pet all those things changed and it really changed by us no longer making them hunt and feeding them those scraps, right? There there was no longer uh, a dependency uh for the you know, the wolves or the animals to hunt in packs because we were just feeding them. Sure. Right? And by doing that they
2: de evolved. Or they cha- they adapted. You know, I can imagine some wolves probably didn't do so well eating the scraps of humans. Yeah. But some did. Yeah. And those ones became dogs. Yeah. Um, so the way I see it is, um, and that might be why certain breeds
0: are better with families than others, right, like certain breeds yeah, of so dogs if like, you have
2: a floppy eared dog, yeah, that would indicate a very docile dog, yeah, you know like if like um I've heard stories um if you ever uh, re- listen to Radio one of my favorite podcasts uh they talk about the domestication of foxes, and in that story, you know you've got uh, a a Russian, uh, researcher who goes into these, um, he, he creates all these containment pens for wild foxes and he does a a simple test where he goes into a specific kennel, a specific room where a fox is, is, you know, residing. And if that fox makes a certain sound, which means it's frightened and aggressive towards the person, they won't breed that fox. And they'll just go from one fox to the next until they find a fox that is agreeable to people. And then they'll breed that one. Mm -hmm. And then they'll go down the line and all of its progeny will, they'll go through the same step where, you know, have contact with the fox, see how it does with humans. If it's beneficial, they'll breed those ones. And it only took 10 years before uh, the foxes became completely domesticated in, to to the point where they were no longer afraid of people um and that was when they started to notice that the teeth became flatter the um the fur color started to change from red to grayish and different colors and the ears were no longer pointed they became floppy and so they found you know studies have shown that the pointed ear on a fox is is related? It's associated with aggression, and that hunter instinct of uh, of a wild fox. So, um, in a sense, you're selecting. Humans are selecting certain traits in this fox until they get something that's no longer a fox. It's no longer a wild fox. It's a domesticated fox that um, not only can um, can tolerate living with people but it can tolerate a different diet.
1: So this is kind of to your point Brian that this is why certain this is why they say certain breeds of dogs are better with kids or better for this kind of thing, right? Well,
0: and even even to that point, uh, with the changes in the physiology of the fox, the same thing are happening to domesticated dogs. They're starting to. Well, one of the things that happened with domestication is they had physiological adaptations and they had changes in behavior, and they were able to start eating and digesting plant based food. So, probably from the scraps that were being thrown from the table to the floor, sure. um, you know, they found that there was increased gene expression in enzymes that help digest plant matter. What does that mean? A so gene like expression, so the, the genes, the DNA in the dogs started changing oh. where basically they started producing more like, um, pancreatic amylase and things like that to help digest carbohydrates. Cause amylase is something that helps break down simple carbohydrates. So now they're seeing that there's, you know, there's increases in gene expression, which means their body's creating more of that protein where it wasn't there before. Um, You know, so now you see these dogs that are becoming really good at metabolizing carbohydrates and and changing maltose into glucose or sucrose into glucose, which that's an evolutionary change showing that dogs no longer depend on protein for a a food source. Of course they still need it, but now they have adapted to where they can start eating plants.
1: So they, they, they couldn't just run outside and go and catch their prey and their food, right? Like could, would a, would a domestic, if you're, if that's what you're saying, would they, they wouldn't be better suited for, or are they just smart enough? to I would
0: say at this, in this day and age, no, I think that domesticated companion animals, uh, like I said earlier, all those, all those things that mother nature gave them, they're gone. Like Mike said, they're, you know, same thing with, that occurred with the foxes, the dog's teeth became flatter and more rounder and their ears became floppy. And, you know, now they're having these physiological adaptations to start consuming and metabolizing carbohydrates and increasing glucose uptake. Where if you're on a protein diet, you know, if you're eating a lot of protein, a lot of wild animals, there's not a lot of glucose in that. So, so with the domestication, um, um, there's literally physiological changes in the animal. So, I mean, I think what that's telling us, and again, I'm not a pet person. I don't have any pets. Not yet. Yeah. Um, I I think what that's telling us is that the dog adapted pretty well to an omnivore diet. Right. right? Whereas
1: it started as a wolf, primarily catching its prey with its teeth and eating eating meat. Yeah.
2: And we threw... Because it had to. Yeah, you honest. know, even something else I sure. read
0: is that the the intestinal flora in dogs changed. So like the microbiome and the bacteria in the gut all changed uh, with domestication as well. So these are like these are major alterations in in physiology. So I, I, and what that tells me is that it's a successful transition. The body responded, their bodies responded to the stimulus and created what was needed for that change in diet. Okay. So that, so they can, pets can eat pretty much everything we're eating. I would say yeah. dogs dogs can eat everything okay, that so we're eating. I think cats are a different story. Yeah.
2: So what about cats? The cat story is a little different. So, you know, think of the farmer, um, growing crops and storing those crops in granaries. Um, to either to feed himself or, or the animals that he's raising. Uh, so once you have an excess of grain that you no longer can eat within a given period of time and you have to store it, um, that attracts vermin like rats and mice. And so human civilization and the farming activities just naturally attracted cats because
1: Um, right. Egyptian, I can see the hieroglyphics now, right? Like,
2: right. So a cat would be naturally inclined to be kind of a shadow, um, in the farmers, uh, efforts to grow grains and store them because there's kind of an easy, an easy food source there. They don't have to, you know, I would imagine a cat in the wild might be pretty difficult to find a rat because if you look at the distribution of of organisms in nature, they tend to be clumped to where the resources are. Mm. You don't have this like even distribution of animals all across the globe. They're, they're all bunched up wherever they can get easy food, right? This is why raccoons are at your garbage can. And this is why coyotes are like just on the outskirts of human civilization.
1: Or bears. If you're here in Sierra Madre.
2: Yeah. So In a sense, those are, I would argue that those are domesticated to some extent as well, because they rely on human civilization for their food. Yeah, tell them about uh, our garden, oh, yeah. Mr. We had, Dan.
1: We, we had a uh, we had a bear, we had a bear break in, and and uh, he was going after <laughs> it. At the time, we had uh, the the Gambuja fish. fish, yeah, Gambuja fish in there, and the bear broke through. And it was bricks were tossed, oh the the rafts were broken apart. It was. And what time if, of day was it? This was like noon, right? Yeah, morning, morning breakfast, brunch. I think it was brunch actually for the bear, but tore up. Like this was a big deal, man. This is like somebody, as if a human jumped into the thing.
0: Bricks knocked over, water leaking out. It was trashed it. And you got video of it. This big ass bear leisurely just lumbered his way down. What's this road right here? Yeah. uh, um, Auburn Lane. Come by and check us out. He's like waving to neighbors. He's like, hey, good morning. Comes into the garden, destroys it. You run out, chase him, and he doesn't even run. He He, he walks away from you like, yeah, he's like, I don't don't
1: care. He didn't even eat the veggies. I mean, come on now, (laughs) at least try some of the good veggies here.
0: So, like, back to the cats, I think cats kind of took this role as a companion, but still maintain the hunter instinct. And I think they kept that because, you know, I'm sure your cats bring mice to your front door all the time, right?
2: Gophers and rats mainly.
0: So it's, it's still that, that desire, that urge to hunt is still with them. You could let your dog out and chances are the dog's probably not going to go hunt something and bring it back.
2: Right. (laughs) That's, That's pretty uncommon these days with most domesticated. So then you
1: can't feed cats are not eating a a strictly veggie diet, or you can't do that to them, or what?
0: It seems like cats haven't adapted the same way dogs have. Like cats still maintain about fifty-two to sixty percent of their their energy from protein metabolism. So that shows you that by design they are meant to consume a higher protein levels, right? Because most, like, we, what is a human? Human, we don't metabolize protein for energy. We get about five percent of energy total from metabolizing protein. Protein is merely a building substance in our body, where cats metabolize it for energy. Wait, I'm throw, This is the throwback to many other episodes, but I'm still this still
1: boggles my mind that we are told that my if I didn't know anything about this, mm-hmm. I my guess would be like we need we need Bunch of protein to live. It's the power of
0: marketing Maybe. and misinformation. God, I keep forgetting yes. this, man. I keep yes. forgetting this. Maybe 5%? If, what does you know. that 5% say? 5% is, is used for metabolizing energy to create energy. Okay, so, so we still use a lot of protein for repair and building. Got and, it. And, you know, red blood cell turnover. uh, Osteoclasts. I, I mean, everything we, everything that we're constructed of, is made of protein. So we still use it. I see. But we don't need it for energy. We're a cat. Fifty percent, fifty to six, fifty-two to sixty wow. percent. They metabolize protein for energy. So that goes to show you that, like, they are by design meant to eat that. That's amazing. So, so I my, would
2: say, I would say, like a because of that, a cat is not that much more domesticated than a rat. You know, like. So cats aren't necessarily... right? We're not putting leashes we, on cats. We're not, we we're not like walking to, them. Yeah, we like to think that cats are domesticated, and I would actually argue that they're they're far less domesticated than a dog. Um, I would even say that they're semi wild. Um, and you can see that in the way they interact with you, Because right, cats, cats are like run away. Just, yeah, cats just... don't listen. They don't do what you want them to do. They're right. not. Sounds like they're not kids. your best friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> they're not. They're not a dog at all. They yeah. do what they want. Yeah. And, you know, as as a farmer, um, even today, but if, a farmer that was living 10,000 years ago um, didn't feel a need to feed the cat because it was getting its own food by hunting its own rats, and the farmer re- realized this and said, you know, like, I want to encourage this. So if you were to feed the cat, um, which we have done, of course, but to feed the cat... Um, in excess would in a, it would eventually cause the cat to no longer have any desire to hunt. And that would hurt the farmer because he's going to oh. lose all this grain. So oh, they, there's like a dependency there. Like yeah. The like farmer a, needs yeah, that cat yeah, to be out there. Mousing. Interesting. I love that.
0: Never thought of that.
2: Right. So of course we ended up feeding cats anyway. Right. And so you could argue that there are certain breeds of cats that are just not so suited to hunting anymore. Yeah. That is happening, but um, for the most part, cats are still pretty wild and they have a strong instinct to find vermin. And that's, even up to today, still incredibly useful. You know, they say that um, every human for their entire lives is no more than 50 feet away from a rat. (laughs) <laughs> i kid you not
0: <laughs> how, how close are we to the black widows that are in the garden yeah five feet <laughs> don't tell
2: me no, that. i don't want to know, know. <laughs> depends on water sources
1: <laughs> which you guys can yeah. hear the garden that's not somebody peeing in the background yeah. that's that's
0: the uh, watercress uh
1: hydroponic gardens going away
0: so to close your question please i think that domestication of animals i think even cats to a degree and this this is all going to tie into the food and vegetarianism or veganism or how, whatever we're going to feed these animals um first major change is changes. now we've put pets on a eating schedule so we've removed the desire to hunt to get food when needed to eat when they want and we feed them when we want when we think they should be fed right so sure. right um i you know i don't know how many times a dog eats a day do we feed a dog three times a day four times a day five times a day kind of free choice free choice and that's problematic as well it's free choice um you know running into
2: obesity we the problem we, right we
0: are giving them calorie dense food that is designed by companies right it's no longer a natural food source
2: we, we walk them about as much as we walk ourselves
0: <laughs> they most animals because we love them and we want to feed them out of love they have unrestrained feeding right so like we just Give them what they want, when they want, right? Oh, he's, you know, little little fluffy's hungry. Let's feed him again. and Give he, him treats. We do it out of, long, out of love. The most interesting thing is prolonged lifespans. So now that we've domesticated animals, and we have vet, vet, veterinarians, and we have, you know, these science-designed foods for them, now they're living well beyond natural lifespans for dogs and cats, right? Right. Okay. Mainly because
2: um, of, we're... We've removed the risk of predation. Yeah.
0: And now we're starting to see, most importantly, which I think is the big thing we need to talk about, is the human diseases that are caused through food and inactivity and food sources. That's starting to transcend into the animal world.
1: um, disease and cancers that cancers we're getting, animals can, diabetes, can get as well.
0: these stroke, because of the food, because of the food and the inactivity and the the excessive amount of food that we give animals, wow. and you know, feeding them when we think they're hungry and feeding them, overfeeding them because we love them. So we've created these human
2: problems in the animal kingdom. Makes sense. Yeah. Wow. I've I've observed like um, a lot of people who think it's unethical to let your cats out at night because you know coyotes might get them or in some cases which is true out here right right it's true some people are are really neurotic about their cats going outside period because they're just paranoid that they're going to get eaten by something which happens but i actually question the ethics of keeping a cat confined especially at night that's when they thrive they're nocturnal right. animals. That's when they're useful. Yes, because <laughs> you know that's when they're useful, rats yes. are a huge problem. People, they must be dealt with. <laughs> get the so cats get those out. cats out there. <laughs> I love that. But you know, like there is a risk that your cat could get eaten, of course. But you know, it's a it's a question of like happiness—the happiness of your cat over the health of your cat. And if you if you trap your cat into in a, in your house, it's you kind of have to wonder like, is it really a cat anymore? Because what, what is a cat really? Is it, you know, something that makes you happy and you're going to have to like rely on industrial meat, the industrial meat supply to keep that going. Is that really, you know, is that something that's helping your self esteem or is that something that's helping the planet? You know, is it good for the luxury, right? Yeah. So is, is. is keeping a pet a luxury? Is it is it practical to keep a pet? Can you have a little bit of both? You so,
0: know? Dan, before we move on, can you please give our listeners Mike's email address so they can direct <laughs> all the cat hate mail to Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, do you want to give him your email address so we can no. filter out the the cat ladies? Anywhere <laughs> to find me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be waiting. You don't want to mess with He'll the be with. vegetable hustler. Yes, Mike Inglewood. <laughs> Watch out, rats! <laughs> um, building on the
1: ethics question, uh, I know I I in my limited um, past life of. Of being around pets in a household that had pets we don't anymore as we said um we have enough crazy kids at the moment so that's our hands are full sorry maybe someday however um i know it's bad you don't it's i know it's i know it's bad you don't feed your animal your table scraps or the conscious pet owner isn't doing this right There are all on the outside of that, yes, people are doing this all the time, and this is probably why we have big issues of cancers and disease with pets, right? Um, so, does that translate to feeding your animal? If if I, who, uh, living a vegan lifestyle, would I, would that be weird if I was giving my animal those table scraps? I would say
2: no, at all, not at all. The, the silly thing to me is that... Like, the animal can yeah. handle this,
1: right? Because it's, it's changing, but, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: Like, to me, feeding table scraps to a dog is as old as time. It's as old as the dog. It's um the the idea that it's bad to feed table scraps to your dog is a new is a new thing. Because we're eating, you know, and dairy and also, things we shouldn't be. What's also eating. new is dog food. That's a new thing. You know, like
1: I want to know what's in dog food. I, we'll get to that in a little we will bit. We'll talk about that. Yeah. I want to sure, hear Sure, but this. I
2: mean, like, go back in time two, three hundred years ago. There was no, there was no store that you'd go to to buy dog food, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: it was, it was came out in the seventies. Dog food, sixties or seventies, is when it first started coming out. Right. It's so like this kibble we're, and We're wet talking dog about food. like a
2: very narrow slice of time in which we associate dog dogs with eating dog food and not table scraps. Okay. Okay. But I mean, before the invention of dog food, table scraps were it. Got it. And you know, obviously if you're a hunter, a dog's helping you with that effort. Um cleaning the bones. Right. And but for the most part it's scraps. Okay. <laughs> so I think that um if you if you argue that feeding table scraps to your dog is bad, then are you feeding I mean obviously oh, you're good eating point. you're eating the food before they became scraps. So you shouldn't be so eating that either. That's what you're saying? Too? Right. So it's kind of ridiculous wow. of course. to think that that uh, table scraps would be bad for your dog. You should really look at yourself first and say, am I eating something? that's <laughs> Should I be eating this good, ice cream but...
1: and cheese and then feeding it to my pet?
2: Right. That's It's absurd. And yeah, you no, you shouldn't be feeding that to your pet. And, and you shouldn't be feeding that to yourself either. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bigger question. Yes. Some breakthrough here. I love that.
0: So I I have like three issues with this ethics thing. Okay. it's, It's not, should we feed the table scraps? It's, it's more, okay. So the dog food industry and human food are, you know, the meat industry, the soy industry, the corn industry, they're, they belong to the same thread. So it's not like there's a whole other industry that is creating dog food. Dog food is coming from the same industries that's creating human food. Right. So, you know, my first thing is when you're buying commercial dog food, you are supporting the harm and the suffering of other animals to feed your animal. How is that? Because that kibble and that meat that's in their food is coming from CAFOs. It's coming. That's it's the the stuff that we weren't eating. It's, it's the scraps of the animals get it. that come yeah. from the slaughterhouse. That's how that works. That's yes, that's exactly how those it works. Are the there's no separate. There's no separate factory that's making a premium dog food. <laughs> so <laughs> dogs myself. are eating. So you ever hear that uh, people are living high on the hog? Yeah. Okay. Dogs are living high on the hog. They're eating the cuts of the meat that we don't want. Because you know if we were in France, we would love the you know the intestines the the the, glands, the organ meats right those are those are delicate meats that we don 't eat here, so that's what 's going in the dog food so by mm-hmm. buying commercial dog food and feeding your animal that you are supporting the system that we're adamantly against right. Mm-hmm. The leather industry, the, the meat industry, the dairy industry, that is all woven into dog food, right? So you're, all those parts are being sent to renderers, right, which take all these various meats and collagens and different types of parts of the animals and they render it down and they make dog food. So, um, you know, our two food systems are one of the same. I see. So... By purchasing, you know, if, if you're a vegan or vegetarian and you have a dog and you're feeding it that commercial kibble, then you're supporting the machine that you're against because mm. their food is coming from the same place that McDonald's is getting their food and Burger King is getting their food. It's it's all coming from the same factories.
1: I could find I could I could go out there and for the extra money, I could find other dog food. Yeah, we will food that- talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And I
0: have some I have some information on that too. Um so you know and then we get into if you know we if humans are supporting this CAFO system in this uh, you know factory farming, and then the byproducts from that are coming from the animals or, or are coming to make pet food. Now we got to talk about the sustainability issue, right? Population's growing, more people are buying pets here in California, especially in Southern California. Everybody has a pet accessory with them at all times <laughs> just go to the damn mall <laughs> right so now is
2: is, is is this sustainable so yeah i've read uh there's a there's a um a really uh, great article uh don't take it too seriously it's called uh, it's time to eat the dog yeah and uh, hear me out <laughs> uh it's a joke obviously but uh it talks about how the carbon footprint of a medium-sized dog is a equivalent to driving an SUV for a year. Uh, Whoa!
0: I read some of that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah Whoa!
2: Yeah. So the, and they're talking about the the amount of fossil fuel required to make the dog food, to ship the dog food to you, and so it's quite a bit of yeah. uh, fossil fuel needed to feed your to feed a medium sized dog. And so,
1: so I'm just going to throw this out there. Then it's probably the wrong time for this, but eventually what these clues these little breadcrumbs that i'm picking up here are leading to is that is is pet ownership going to become less and less
0: throughout evolution is that or how like what um, do you do with that information I don't, I don't think it's gonna i think it's it's still going to increase i think pet ownership is on the rise i think you know you can see like the pet codes and all these big chain stores that are specifically for pets you know I think just like Whole Foods, (laughs) owning pets belongs to a certain demographic of people. Oh, sure, sure. Right, right, Um, But I do know that I read something that a large portion of the population now, uh, it was in a study I read, I'll put the link in the show notes, was saying that about 45% of pet owners are now considering plant-based pet food but their number one fear of keeping them from doing it is inadequacy in nutrients. So they're worried that, so I, I think that the owners are starting to consider option B. I think that the manufacturers are starting to listen to, you know, what the demand is for pet food. Cause now you're starting to see a lot of this uh, premium plant-based pet food being designed. Um,
2: you know, it's funny. Is like, if you say, what is really plant-based? Like, that could be anything that's mostly plants, right? So, look at your cheapest... The cheapest kibble, dog kibble you could buy. Obviously, most people don't think so highly of it. But, um, you know, your cheapest dog food out there typically has about 4% meat in it. And the rest is soy. The rest is soy and corn. and So, it's supporting the so same it is, industry. It is plant-based, <laughs> Already, right, mm. right, uh, and I guess that's that's often not known, and like if you have a dog food that's labeled as having extra meat, that's um, about fourteen percent meat. Still, okay, so there's numbers. For I would say, argue still plant based. <laughs> sure Okay, it's like um, the school lunches that our kids eat.
0: It's like yeah. it's like mostly soy and corn. And so losing five to fifteen percent is
1: not going to be that big of a deal.
2: No, and. Um, so to me, sorry, the, we're
1: hearing trash can. It's Trash Day tomorrow here on our street, so that's what you hear neighbors bringing trash cans out. That's what. That what
2: is. I find um, most telling about today and what you what you're seeing in the media uh, around dog food is, you know, have you seen the commercial where you there's this wild dog? I know you no, yes, There's a wolf, and it morphs into the you, to your pet like. Yeah, going there's a wolf the running through a forest or through a, like a plane, and then it morphs into a dog. Yes and it's like give your dog the best you know like the origin and it, yeah so it it's this idea that there's this is assumption that your dog you know whether it's a chihuahua is related or to it's that Great thing Dane, <laughs> yeah there's is related to the wolf in that it's still a wolf in its needs and so you need to give it all meat you know you need to give it a high meat diet and this seems to mirror the the growing paleo movement you know so you've got all these humans thinking that there are pa- that, that they're somehow a paleolithic human but they're not let me tell you we're we're very domesticated and uh oh we're hearing some domesticated coyotes in the distance right now. To say, what is that coyotes yeah they're oh. they're begging for uh oh, garbage yep. <laughs> Gar- garbage night <laughs> they, they'll be hard pressed to find any yeah. meat. <laughs> Um, especially right here. So, yeah, it seems, it seems like you've got people who, um, are interested in eating a higher meat diet because they think it's healthy for them. And guess what? CAFOs are more than willing to help you out there. Um, wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) And they want their pets to go down the same road, you know, this idea of like a wild human with a wild wolf. We need to be hunter gatherers again. There's this. I guess this is like romanticism around the idea that we can be these wild, you know, superhuman, strong, beautiful hunters, <laughs> and our dogs are are right there with us. But in reality, nothing is further from the truth. We're so domesticated, and so are the dogs. And um, our behaviors have changed. Our diets have changed. I think especially now the planet cannot afford uh the population to go down a road that demands more meat yeah that wouldn't Uh, last long
1: i mean what okay is there um are there that being said are there certain guidelines certain do's and don'ts um of like feeding animals whether it be Your pet birds, your dog, your cat, are there specific guidelines um, to like what these animals should be eating, what they can be eating? As you said, Brian, their intestines are, things are changing in their bodies. Like, is there certain things that a cat can eat, that a dog can't eat, that would help uh, maybe say a plant-based household give their cat something different
0: versus their dog? Or does that work like that? So what I found most interesting when I was doing my research on this is that pet food is more heavily regulated than human food. So <laughs> what? It's much more of like a stringent process trying to make sure that the pets are getting like are the, you serious? Yes, like the healthiest ah. food. Um so there is something called the National Research Council or the NRC which basically um is like the American Dietetics Association for humans but they kind of put out the nutritional needs for for animals and and pets and companion animals. Um so of course the the number one thing for any pet food that most people are concerned about are the amino acids, the essential and the essential amino acids. Um, so, you know, a lot of the pet food companies uh, put excessive amounts in there in their pet food uh, just to make sure that these animals are getting um, the right essential and non essential amino acids. So, that was one that uh, they have regulation on. Um, Of course, they need vitamins and minerals like we do. Uh, Vitamin A is very important. The vitamin B complexes are incredibly important as well. So like your B3, your B9, your B12, uh, calcium, iron, zinc, copper, all of those are very important as well. Um, Certain fats are important in the pet food uh, and the right proportion of it. And from what I read, the proportion is determined on the stage of life that the animal's in. So right. Cause you see some bags that says what kind of breed or pe- pet yeah. it is. And yeah. then the age of yeah. the animal yeah. too. So this is like scientifically formulated food, which is like, we need that sticker on our stuff, completely right? Completely goes. No, there's, yeah, there's no money in that. Oh yeah. <laughs> <you're right. laughs> um, you know, it completely goes against what
2: these animals were in the wild. Um, you know, when you talk about like the protein content of your dog food, I'd imagine like the average person would see like a percentage of protein on it, on the bag. And they think, you know, like, oh, this, this has 30% protein or this has 40 or 50% protein. That's the more, the more protein in there, the better. But, uh, you know, as someone who used to raise, um, chickens and quail, you used to race um, them, raise them. Oh, oh, sorry. You should see the races of these <laughs> quail. They're running, their little must legs be big. <laughs> so, um, you know, like I used to be keen on like giving enough protein to my quail that I used to hatch, and I thought to myself, you know, the more protein they get, the faster they're going to grow, which is true. But you know, um, I do, uh, I did read a lot about how if you give your birds too much protein. They could go they could go into renal failure, which is kidney failure, just like human beings really right. that's, that's a yeah. so thing you know if beings. you have this excessive amount of protein that you're eating um daily, uh your kidneys could shut down from the amount of protein you're eating, especially if you're not hydrated so mm. um, more protein uh can be dangerous, and uh so you know. Look at the look at the Davita the group, <laughs> you know, like on every corner, there's dialysis um, places for people with kidney failure. Yep. You know, so you got you've got a paleo movement, and then you've got Davita to yes. pick up the pieces. Which make, is somebody's really making some money, right? Yeah. yeah. And the
0: uh, one of the big ones, the one of the big uh, nutrients that I read about is a certain amino acid. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Is it? taurine taurine yes mm. so um apparently so f- for individuals that are thinking about putting their animals on a plant-based diet apparently dogs don't really need supplemental taurine because they can basically synthesize taurine in their body by using uh amino acids that have um, sulfate on it so like um like the sulfur amino acids like um methionine is one of them and cysteine that's in like greens yeah so so those type of amino acids they can use to create that essential amino acid where cats they can't do that so and apparently taurine is very important for the development of cats so it plays a big role in like various stages of like their their physiological changes that happen as they get older um so you know could you have a plant-based cat and yeah, cause there's a lot of pet foods out there now that are putting the taurine in there supplementally, Oh, um, you know, so that they can, they can have uh, the right amount of it. Um, you know, without that amino acid, cats have been reported to have like cardiomyopathy, uh, retinal degeneration. So the growth complications, um, so, they have like developmental problems without that amino acid. And that, that, that amino acid seems to be distributed most abundantly in the heart and the retina and the brain of the cats. So that plays a big role in, in those specific organs. Um, so, you know, back to the
2: question, could, could a cat be put on a plant-based diet? Well, I mean, with supplementation of, if you're going to confine, if you're gonna confine a cat to not go outside, and you want it to be plant-based, uh, then you better get the tried and true, tested um, cat foods that have all of those yeah. amino acids that they need. And instead of trying to do it yourself, but you know, if you're more into a natural approach, then keep an outdoor cat, you know, so that it can catch the vermin that need to be caught. Let's be honest. Rats are a huge problem. I've said it before. (laughs) You you have. I love this. So this was interesting. I read an article from uh, the UK that said that
0: the Animal Welfare Act um, in the UK uh, will press criminal charges against owners that put their animals on a vegan diet.
2: Hmm. What?
0: That's interesting because they believe that a vegan diet is not going to give the animals all the nutrients they need. So that Whoa. was that was
1: really interesting. That's a recent thing, huh? Yep.
0: Wow. wow. Um, I got okay. Wow. Yeah. I got to read this. Yeah. It was it was pretty interesting seeing that. So, you know the the verdict. We we don't know. Well, mm-hmm. what about what about I, I've read stories where
1: people change their pets. This would be a, a dog, for example. People would change their dog's diet. Based on some sort of uh, a growth or something that's going on with their leg, or there's some sort of ailment that's happening, or a, or a disease, or a virus, or a cancer, and switch from from primarily meat, or maybe not really paying attention to all the details, to really being aware, and then feeding a certain leaning more towards plant-based diet to help the animal through a situation, and they found success at this.
0: Like, is there is there uh, is are there benefits to to cutting out meat. Yeah. So I, I found some studies on this and I, I, I was really on the fence about this issue. Cause I, I didn't know if pushing our agenda on animals, pushing a plant-based diet on an animal is, I, I didn't know if that was our place. You know what I mean? You know, mother nature designed it. I didn't know if it was our, our place or our space to do so. But the research that is out there is showing that animals are thriving when they move to a plant-based diet. So like behaviorally and with their health and with biomarkers in the blood and just like humans, just like humans. So so what's interesting is we're seeing that. So let's just kind of like put these pieces together here. When you buy commercial dog food, you are buying products that are from CAFOs, factory farms, the Midwest soy and corn industry that's being made into food. It's the same place we get our food from right if you're eating meat you're if you're eating processed food you're eating the soy and the corn we are getting all of these uh diseases popping their heads out and the animals are the pets are getting the same thing right sure same same type of diseases um you change the pet food to a plant-based diet and just like in humans you see it all go away wow so yeah they're uh
1: like dog obesity that's, that's yes. a thing
0: like yeah. um they're they're thriving on vegetarian and vegan diets and there was all this research on it and you know some of it wasn't it was qualitative and not quantitative where it was like looking more at behavior um but they were seeing changes in like decreases in ectoparasites like fleas ticks and, and lice and mites and Uh, decreased food intolerance reactions just like we see in humans you go to a plant-based diet you see a lot less allergies a lot less inflammation a lot less um, reactions to food improved coat conditioning so
2: i know avocados are really beneficial to dogs and some people think that 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 it's toxic but in fact avocados are a great coat conditioner for dogs.
1: Wait, this doesn't mean bring your dog to the Mexican bar down
0: the street. Does it like, do <laughs> no. it? Okay. Um, reductions in obesity, um, reductions in arthritis, reductions in diabetes, reductions in cataracts, uh, go, leaving meat, going more. Uh, yes. All these things are uh, happening in dogs. Um, so there was a, there was a study that was done by, so dogs are very similar to how we yeah. uh, process. This this was a study I found really interesting. It was conducted on three hundred vegetarian dogs and vegan dogs. Where are they where do they live? They were all. There were thirty three. Th- nope, thirty three different states, also U.S. and Canada. The dogs were different ages. They were different breeds. They were different genders. Uh, of the three hundred dogs, um, one hundred ninety six were vegan. One hundred four were vegetarian. Uh, when they compared these animals to animals on a regular diet, they said that basically the vegan and vegetarian animals were reported as being in excellent health compared to dogs that were on a standard diet um They had less weight, less digestive problems they uh they didn't have hyperthyroidism like the other dogs did their vision and their hearing were perfect there were no defects in it where you know other breeds or dogs that were on the standard diet they had all these complications um so yeah i mean like i don't know how much research is done on animals but they're now starting to see that if you move these animals to a plant-based diet which i didn't know if i wasn't i didn't know if i supported that or not they're starting to thrive the research is out there there and and the this is interesting the oldest living dog his name is Brambo, vegan all of his life. Really? He's You're 27 kidding. years old, in human years. What? Yes.
1: What is that in dog years?
0: What's 27 times 7? 49, curia the 4, 14, 189. <laughs> insane. Right? Is that right? 189?
1: For the You can call and text in right now.
0: Yeah. Yes, 189. So yeah, well, so I'm, that's... I'm impressed. That's an old-ass dog, and he's still kicking... And I read somewhere that he's number five in the list of oldest living animals that are vegan. So I don't know what the other four are, but he's, he's five. So, um, yeah, like, Hmm. uh, to my surprise, um, a plant-based diet for dogs, at least are showing advantageous changes and maintaining healthier life. And, uh, but it's the research isn't out there for cats, so um, that may take a few more uh, hundred years. Yeah, or, or more designing of the food. However, Mike, do you know something about something called koji? Oh, mushrooms. Yeah, do you want to you want to talk about that a little bit because this is about to kind of take the pet world by storm as far as pet foods concerned. But I I can see it also having a human application, so. Um. What does soy sauce, miso, and sake all have in common?
2: Does it have koji in it? They all have koji in it. I did not
0: know that. Yes, they do. Uh, koji is a microorganism at the heart of many traditional Asian flavors and food, and it is now the key ingredient in some vegan pet foods.
2: Interesting. Yes. Depends so it's a mushroom. Um yeah. It is a mushroom.
0: A, a this is what's really interesting, and we should probably jump on this and start putting this into human food. An analysis of koji shows that it is fifty percent protein. Okay. okay, a steak, by comparison, is about thirty percent protein. So a microorganism mm-hmm. f- from
2: so you the know, mushroom family. This koji is probably being you know used in in like judicious amounts because it's so strong you know you only need a little bit to go a long way so now that we have this
0: non-soy product right because mostly soy is being put in dog food and and we all know from what we talked about with soy that you know phytoestrogen can possibly have an effect just in animals just like it does humans Um, but now we have this new source of protein that is high in protein and I don't know what it's amino acid content is, but I'm sure it's, it's got a pretty robust profile um, that they're starting to put into pet food now. And
2: fascinating.
0: Yep. So um, I don't know things, things could possibly change. And again, it goes back to the sustainability thing. Can we keep sustaining the way we produce meat, soy and corn? Can you know, can we keep it up I for want, humans? I really want. Well, to it's have the like, same machine, right? right? It's they're eating.
2: They're eating from the same source we are. It's sure. all coming from the same place. We're gonna have space dogs someday. <laughs> they're gonna be with us in space. They'll be eating koji and watercress <laughs> on Mars, right? Yeah, I I can see that. You know, like I I've been thinking about um, some of Michael Pollan's ideas on behavior and diet. Right, so look at so many different animals and look at their behaviors. The animals that move fast and have big eyes, um, tend to be hunters, whereas the animals that move slowly are the are the grazers. So look look at a cow right, the eyes are over here versus straight ahead, right? That's right. So you know, like a cow um cow is not known for being that smart, um, mainly because it doesn't have to tr- it doesn't have to think very hard about getting food because it's everywhere on the ground it's it's not running away It didn't have to catch the grass to eat it so cows are pretty simple creatures they and they have to have a pretty complex stomach to be able to digest grass because it has a lot of cellulose fiber um but then compare that to to a uh, dragonfly you know dragonflies have these gigantic eyes in relation to its body um, they move very quick, um, and of course they are hunters, right? Behavior equals diet. So look at the koala bear. What is it doing? Have you ever seen a koala move fast?
1: Never. Where they eat all day, right? And, or sleep all day. Eat and sleep, right?
2: I think they sleep like 18 hours a day, um, and they mainly live on these eucalyptus trees eating eucalyptus leaves that's a pretty easy thing to do leaves aren't running away the leaves aren't running um and so the koala is a pretty slow moving docile creature that um has a pretty easy life although I would say it's pretty um dependent on that tree to for survival right it's not as adaptable as an omnivore would be so um you know when I see dogs uh a wild dog a wolf is so different from a domestic dog the behaviors of dogs have changed a lot um if you look at the behavior of your dog that's a pretty good indication of what kind of diet it needs and you know like i would say even the smallest yippity dog um might have a shred of aggression in there where it might eat like a cricket on on the floor you know like and that's probably good for it but I would say, um, the diet of any creature is largely based on its behavior. So that's what we need to be focusing on. So then,
1: if I'm, I'm if I'm aware and my household's aware, and now I'm starting to turn that awareness uh, towards my pet for for a, a, a longer disease-free life for my pet as well, what would be my first few steps, or how do I make that transition smooth for the animal to? To not say say we've been eating, say we just say we just say three years ago, and we had a pet, and we just changed over, we got rid of the meat, got rid of the dairy out of the out of the house. Can I do that with the pet or is it a cold
0: turkey thing with the pet too, or do you, how would you what would be the best way of approach with that? so what the experts say on that is that you start introducing the plant based food with the commercial food, so you kind of mix them together in the bowl. And you start introducing that flavor and those nutrients to the animal. And then you gradually start to kind of remove the quantity of commercial food and increase the quantity of the the plant-based food. Um, they also suggest that you definitely monitor your animal's behavior. Um, look for rashes, any changes in skin any, or uh, like any irritation in skin. Um and then if the animal is not taking to the food, they suggest you use like uh, nutritional yeast or soy milk, because I guess cats in particular love nutritional yeast, which I, I didn't know that, um, olive oil, um, some say put catnip in the food. If you're trying to get your cat to go onto a plant-based diet, um, baby food has also helped people make that transition, um so yeah there's and then, of course, you have to monitor them closely uh, to see if the diet agrees with them and if you want to be you know really successful this with this process, take them to see the vet and make sure that everything you know in the blood is where it needs to be so there's there are ways of making this transition happen um, but the first thing you got to do is is really be aware of what you're doing, and hopefully this mm-hmm. episode kind of helps people with that um, on top of that, there's some companies out there that are selling these foods now with, you know, the right protein and, uh, the taurine in there and things like that. So if you're interested, there's a company called F and O alternative pet food, um, pet guard is another one for, for dogs and V dog, which is a new vegan based, um, dog food company. So they're, they're, they're starting to develop and that's, that's great. We're starting to see, plant-based,
2: uh, eating on the pet front. (laughs) You know, vegan pet food can be, uh, pretty expensive. And I would say if you're trying to have a plant-based dog, um, and in a sense, have them eat exactly what you eat. If you're a vegan, um, that's possible too, but a little trickier, a little riskier. So I would say if you're willing, if you want to try something like that, where you're you're making your dinner and that's also for the dog. Um to me it seems that if you have a dog that is very docile, you know like if you have a floppy-eared dog that is not aggressive at all, that's a pretty good candidate for a plant-based diet. If you have a really big aggressive dog that um we, you would might you might guess is a little bit closer to a wolf. Then I would say that might be a little bit more of a risk. And you would need if you if you wanted to insist on a plant based diet, um, you would need those more expensive uh, formulated foods that will give them anything they might need. Um, so not all dogs are the same, you know. So look at uh, look at your specific dog's needs. Be Be sensitive to, you know, their behaviors and their physiology because floppy ears for one thing, that's that's an indication of, of a dog that is kind of like a bunny rabbit, (laughs) you know? So yeah, the, the history of domestication of dogs has been one of making them less and less aggressive over time. Because those are the kinds of dogs that will get along well with us and our kids. So um, I would say most dogs these days are more, should be more partial to a plant-based diet because they've been, their behaviors have been selected for being, you know, docile. Adaptable. Yeah. And eating what we eat.
0: Love that. So before we close this episode, I gotta I gotta talk about the system for a second. Cause Do it. Why would we not talk about the system? Bring it. Since this is uh you know what what this podcast is all about. When I go to Pasadena and I see that multi-billion-dollar dog kennel, yeah, there, it's beautiful, beautiful. I, it's 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 so beautiful. I. I um, And I think about the type of people in this community that support that no-kill shelter. And people are going there and spending hundreds of dollars to get a a dog, to bring it home, buying all the accessories, the cute little purses to put the dog in, the cute little collar, the little name tag. They're spending all this money, and they're supporting this non-for-profit business. And what these animals are eating while they're at that shelter... Is other animals right so you have all these people drive into the Pasadena animal shelter to show compassion and love for a specific type of animal while the animals that are receiving that compassion and love are eating animals that had suffered in a CAFO or in a factory farm um, and when these people buy these animals and they leave and they go buy dog food That dog food is filled with the parts of other animals. And to me, that whole system confuses me, right? So what they're supporting when they're buying that is a system of pain and suffering, and they would never inflict that pain and suffering onto the pet that they just bought. Do do you do you know what I mean? Sure. So it baffles awareness it it baffles me and dan i sent you something today can you look on your phone really quick dan and tell me what the primary ingredients are that can you read that little paragraph so the listeners can know what's in commercial dog food so now this is this is a push to say okay well maybe we need to go plant-based because the commercial dog food that you're feeding your animal because you love your animal and you're compassionate about your animal and you would never want anything to happen to your animal, they're eating something that is just riddled with suffering. So do you have that, Dan?
1: It's uh our our internet is ticking away here. You sent me the link to so it. Here, it's read. loading, it's loading.
0: Okay, do you wanna you wanna take it?
1: Sure. Pet food is a this is this is from um just madehow.com.
0: Read, read that uh, primary ingredients one that I sent you, that little, that little blurb. Raw materials? Yes. It says the primary ingredients in pet food.
1: I'm getting there. Manufacturing process. Keep going. Rendering the meat, grinding the pre-cooking meat, blending and shaping, packaging labeling. Oh, you passed
0: it. All right. I'm going to read it because I have it right here. Please do. The primary ingredients in pet food are byproducts of meat, poultry, and seafood, feed grains, and soybean meal. Among the animals used in rendering are livestock, horses, and house pets, which have been put to sleep. The National Animal Control Association estimates that each year about 5 million pets were shipped to rendering plants and recycled into pet food. They are generally listed as meat or bone meal in the ingredient list. Wow. So, um, for real? That's my rant is the system that's in place. And this is is where I'm urging you to peek behind the curtain because you're
2: not aware. It's like Soylent Green. It, it you're not like aware of one prison feeding another prison yes, it's it's the it's the dolphin free tuna thing all over again it's like
0: you're you're putting a status on one life, the dolphin while you're slaughtering the other life, which is the tuna right so now you people that you know that are are buying these pets and go into these billion dollars and what and again with that shelter that's a beautiful building and what's across the street in that park the homeless the homeless People are showing more compassion to the animals than the homeless.
1: (laughs) So that's that's my
0: rant on the system, and I I just think we need to reorganize this Mm. whole thing. And it's really not about plant-based food and plant and commercial kibble. It's it's the system (laughs) in place on all on all sides on all sides, and it's it's just a mess.
1: Did you know it takes less than a week to train your animal not to jump on people when they come to their house? Is, do you just slap them? Do you no, this is uh, this the thing. It's no. like you, do you, you squirt them with a spray bottle. Oh, there's like the, there's different training training things that they go through. I, I was amazed. I, I you can get a I, clicker. I, I have friends that you could do it. the Pavlov, you can do it uh on the on the rocker platforms. It's it's amazing. I heard even in two days. But this is the thing. We don't let our kids misbehave. Why why are we letting our animals misbehave? Yeah. uh You know, in in public, this is a thing. Come on, We're, they're domesticated. They're not wild train your animals people come on let's do this together um yeah that's a little bit of a rant on that one sorry and i'm sure that offends many people um good uh so I'm, I'm really excited guys about what's coming up here and coming up our uh, our friends on youtube here uh we just have to um, re-roll our youtube camera so give me a hot second on that
0: Hearing that running water has made me want to pee for the last hour.
2: <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, sounds so good. Uh, okay. Like restart another, that. Okay. Part. You, you've been cathetered. You, yeah. You just go, <laughs> Just let it, let it go. <laughs> let so it up. pretty
1: cool thing coming up. Um, we're, we're coming to a close on our, our plant powered pets, which has been enlightening. I thought it was just a couple, maybe ethics issues or something like this, but there's actual real, uh, medical and data. And, and this is, this is great. Yeah. Many aspects to that. Um, uh, something that I've been looking forward to for a very, very long time, and you guys, this is going to be a fantastic episode. I'm I'm trying to get out of what is the old grocery store and into the future uh, of food finding and food foraging. Uh, be it at the farmer's market, and but how to navigate that farmer's market is something that I'm still learning how to do. I'm I understand that's not going to cost me more. It's going to cost me about the same money as it would to go to Sprouts or something like this. So. I, I just I get to these markets, I'm like, I forget it back. Okay, I gotta go back and get my back. And then I go and I just don't know where to go and everybody's there's people that are that that are selling stuff that I know I shouldn't be buying and then then the stuff doesn't look good. Then there's something over here and it's all it's just it's so dynamic. It's such so, to me, the farmers market is like very much the Wild West concept and I don't have any I I enjoy going to the Atwater Village Farmers Market and, and hearing you speak, but other vendors aren't speaking like how you speak. So I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> no wonder I'm, why Mike always has a line fifteen deep, trying to get in and out of his place, and he's always selling out. But I we're gonna have a we're gonna have a, um, a what would we call like not a live, but like a in in yeah. a, a field trip podcast out at the farmer's market coming up we got um sugar coming up cardiovascular health coming up so there's gonna be some really we're we're getting in we got past the meat and dairy world right now we're really like hitting on things that are i'm learning from and doing some good take home that goes that
0: kind of goes to show you how we've gone through a serious process of de-evolution because when we go to the grocery store it's designed in a way to kinda of make us go through and make our selections. Right. The milk and all this right, right. is in the back. But right? then when you go to a farmer's market, you're like, I this is like Mad Max Thunderdome. Like I don't I don't I don't know how to like Yeah, I don't know how to like navigate this and, and because it's not like designed for you in a certain way or you walk into the produce and then right? you the, right. So. And what is it
1: what does a farmer's market look like in the future? Hmm
0: Good
2: question.
1: Right? And is it a market or is it backyards and you go to different yards for, oh, this
2: guy's got this stuff. I gotta go to, right? What is that? And then there's I don't know. Then there's crop swap app. You know, I honestly think in the future, um, the farmer's market or even the idea of going to a market, um, will, will fade away into obscurity. I think the future is, uh, robots possibly, uh, growing food, like feed away from you and giving you basically everything that you want. You know, which could be good, it could be bad, but um, I think that the future of food is something that will become uh, <laughs> so easy for anyone to do um, not 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 even their own labor. Um, uh, I don't like like it. The, once the technology of growing food becomes so doable um, for everyone, um, markets will fade away
1: uh my little my little 5 year old did say that he wants to we we run a, a small boutique uh, aerial imaging drone company and he said maybe we can make the drones uh, have a little claw and pick the strawberries for us and bring it down to our door
2: <laughs> it sounds like science fiction you know like we haven't we haven't gotten there yet but um it's coming believe me it's wow. it's going to happen yeah
1: wow well um links that of to various um Things we talked about will be in the show notes uh, for this one. Stay uh, stay tuned for that. Take a look uh, when, when, obviously, this is uploaded now, because you're obviously hearing it, but when we're recording it, it's not uploaded live. Um, we are PBR, Plant-Based Riot. You are making the choice to live a longer, healthier, disease-free life. And I just had this thought in my mind today. A, a, if you're doing the math, it's equivalent to uh, other developed nations where four years, the difference in a male four years is kind of like what I'm chasing an extra, an extra four years disease free life. I keep thinking this. So that's interesting, right? Like that's
2: unless you win the genetic freak lottery. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. I know. But, um, but yeah, you guys stay tuned for, for more episodes coming your way. And uh, thanks for listening here and, and please reach out to us on, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram and check out the YouTube. Buenas noches. Where are my dogs at? I'm sure that's is that going to be the song that that's coming in. I can't wait for this one. You know it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. We're done.
1: Plant Based Riot Podcast is your weekly dosage of healthy lifestyle awareness. This show has been written and recorded by Plant Based Riot: Brian, Mike, and Dan. Our program is produced by Greg Hennigan, aka the Mike Dicka of guitar teachers. Say hello to Greg at GregsGuitarLessons.com. Research and data that we talked about will be linked in the show notes. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Plant-Based Riot on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, a few stars, or tell a friend. Until next time, start growing your backyard garden.